Oh, good morning, everybody. It's, man, it's great to see you guys. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel uh, this morning, Matthew 22. So if you have your Bible, turn there. I uh, want to say a quick welcome to those at the Cove campus. And, and if I can, just a quick shout out to the Cove group. Um, after Huntsville High basketball uh, got past Grissom, we can now give our full support uh, to Huntsville High and their, their playoff uh, game on Thursday. And so Caleb Harrison, Josh Bowman, uh, two guys at the Cove campus, uh, if if you don't know who they are, they're just the tallest guys uh, in the church. And so you can find them after the service and, and congratulate them. And we're proud of you guys. It's going to be uh, we're excited about the game on Thursday. Uh, Matthew 22 is where we're going to pick up this morning. And so I'll just jump into this passage. And man, it is a, it's, it's a wonderful text. And so uh, look along with me. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now, we're, we're moving into a political season in the life of our country that will be uh, very involved, very intense. Uh, and, and make no mistake, this is a political question that they are asking Jesus. And it reminded me of that old kind of dinner table etiquette that there are, there are a few things that you just never talk about at family gatherings, never talk about at the dinner table. One is religion, another is, is politics. And if you're just gonna add another one to that, it'd be money and finances. And, and here you have a passage that gets all three. So all three of those are in this passage, and uh, it, it should create some interest. It's a passage that maybe you've heard before, but I hope that you, you'll, you'll get a more insight into what Jesus is saying and, and what needs to happen in our own hearts this morning. So up to this point, Jesus has been in the temple, and he's been questioned by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Remember, Jesus has come in. This is the last week. It's that Passion Week of Jesus' life, kind of the, the last few days before he is on the cross. And so he's in Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry. He's entered in. He's, he's cleansed the temple, turned over the tables of all the money changers and those selling sacrifices. And now he's in the temple uh, for the next few days, and the religious leaders just continue to give him questions. They continue to challenge him. They continue in, in a hope to kind of get him in trouble, either with Rome and the Roman authorities, or maybe to, to say something to trip him up, to lose popular opinion and influence with the people. And so this is one of those situations. And, and Matthew gives us a very interesting aspect into this particular question, because Matthew says not only are the Pharisees there, but the Herodians are there as well. And the Herodians are um, kind of the political arm of Israel established by Rome. And so the Herod, Herod and the Herodians are a, a kind of a people of influence, but they're collaborators with Rome. 
And, and so as Rome is successful, right, their influence, success, comfort, uh, wealth increases. And so you have the Herodians here. And I would say on the spectrum of political, uh, you know, involvement, they're, they're on the liberal side of things, right? They're not just pro-Israel. They're pro-Rome. They're, they're, they're kind of out on the edge in their views, very, very varied views. And then you have swing back all the way over to the other side, and you have the Pharisees here too. They're the religious right conservative party. They're, they're the moral party. They're the people's leaders. They're, they're popular. They're, they're seen as ethical, right? Israel first, right? This is kind of what you begin to kind of see this gathering around Jesus. And the tensions the tensions when you live in an occupied state are, are, are always going to be high. To live in a place where another country, another entity governs you, right, rules you, like the political questions and that political unrest would always be stirring. There would always be debates about taxation, hunger, injustice, right? All of those things are always going to be in, in the public square. And this is like this. And so the question about this tax comes, and it's, it's likely this census tax, this head tax. It's a denarius, right? And a denarius was a day's wage. And every year, every non-Roman would give this tax to Rome. It's kind of like you're, you know, like an, 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 HOA, an HOA, right? You, you pay for maintenance of the country. Uh, you pay to keep things running. You, you kind of pay for all of the services that Rome provides. And it was this tax, 25 years prior to this conversation that Jesus is having, 25 years prior, a man named Judas the Galilean started a revolt over this tax. He, he disagreed with it. He didn't feel like any good Israelite Jew should, should pay Rome anything, but particularly this tax became a moment where Judas the Galilean gathered people, went into the temple, kind of created an insurrection, and were later executed. And, and, it's, and it's this tax in the temple again that is being brought to Jesus as a question. What do you think, Jesus? Should we pay this tax or not? It reminds me of these moments where you put the microphone in, in front of, you know, a, a political candidate. And, and what happens in a lot of these debates and a lot of these interviews, right, you ask a question, but a few seconds later, they just tell you what they wanted to talk about anyway, right? They had their talking points. They just kind of hear the question, but then they move forward. And what happens in a lot of these, you know, a, a lot of these venues that I watch, I leave a little disappointed going like, oh, like, I don't know what I just saw. Like, what were those answers? What, what's happening right now? And you can see a kind of a political debate and conversation and, and leave frustrated. But the people aren't frustrated. The people actually hear Jesus' response and they marvel. They marvel. And so I want us to understand what's happening here. What's this question? How does Jesus answer? And how also do we leave here with a greater sense of awe and wonder at what Jesus is pointing at? You know this plan is to entangle Jesus, right? We know that. The political parties, right, the Herodians, the Pharisees, normally suspicious of one another, are actually united in this. They can agree on this. We've got to do something with Jesus. We've got to get rid of him. He, he's changing things for us. So now together they set a trap. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Isn't that great flattery? Can you hear that? They are setting Jesus up. Like, Jesus, you don't care about what other people think. You're a man of conviction. You're a man of truth, God's word. Like, you stand on your own two feet. Like, they're just kind of said, they're just hoping he'll just shoot from the hip. 
He'll say something in, that'll be kind of loose, might get himself in trouble. That's, that's their hope, that he might speak freely. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay the taxes to Caesar or not? In other words, if you're indeed the Messiah, you have to have royal convictions about things. You have to have a plan. You have to have an agenda, right? It, it's when they put the microphone in the candidate's face and they say, build a wall or not, go. And, you know, the, the candidates or like, do you want to raise and increase funding for public education in our country or do you hate children? Go, right? It's, and they're like, it's this like, what do you say? Like, there's a, there's a certain amount of like, this question is meant to polarize. This question is meant to kind of create a stir. And what they're asking for, right? What they're asking is, do you, should the people of God give money to support an idolatrous state? Should we do that? Should we give our money that also promotes emperor worship? That's the question about this tax. It's a really good question. Are you against kind of pagan colonist state and collaborators, Jesus? Right? Or are you, are you soft on injustice? Do you not care? Does, does your kingdom and does your rule not really deal with real freedom and real injustice, right? That's the question that they're asking him about this tax. The, ta the trap has been set. You're either going to, in this moment, declare yourself a revolutionary and say, don't pay the tax while the Herodians are listening and you will be charged as an insurrectionist, a rebel under Rome and killed, or you will say, pay the tax and people will be like, this guy's soft, he doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about our issues, his kingdom, his rule, his reign as the Messiah. It means nothing, right? He's soft on injustice. Matthew says Jesus knew their intentions of the question. And in verse 19, it says, show me the coin. Show me the coin for the tax. And they, they brought him a denarius. So again, it's this, this head tax, this imperial tax that Jesus is highlighting because the denarius was what was used to pay that. And on the coin... On the coin on one side is Livia, which is Caesar Tiberius' mother. And, and around that, it says, an inscription around it says Pontiff Maximum, which means high priestess, high priest. And, and so she is kind of given this divine status as being the high priestess of Rome, which is, you know, if you're Caesar and you want to establish yourself with divine authority, put your mom on one side of the coin and call her divine, right? That's a pretty good move on your part. And then on the other side of the coin, it's a, it's a, a head, a bust of, of Tiberius Caesar. And around that, the inscription around that coin says this, Tiberius, the son of God, Augustus. That's what the coin says. So, I, so, so the coin was, um, it was like for Israelites, it was like a portable idol. Like it, it, it's, it, it kind of, it said everything about worship, emperor worship. It, it, it described Tiberius kind of claiming divinity and authority over all worship. In fact, it was, it was so overt in what the coin descripted that a lot of religious Israelites wouldn't even touch the coin. They, they wouldn't even hold it because they felt like it was against everything in their faith and the belief about God's word. And so some commentators have said, this is an interesting turn of events because when Jesus, when they highlight the coin, Jesus says, well, get me one. 
And so he, in, in a way, he kind of draws them into this awkward state where now they have to go get the very coin that they're frustrated about and hand it to Jesus. And so Jesus highlights it and he says, whose image is this? Whose inscription? And the reply is Caesar's. Then Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's. On one level, you hear it. Jesus has said, pay the tax, right? On, on one level, he said, pay your taxes. It's pretty straightforward, right? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. But something about what he's saying sounds very similar to something that was said 200 years ago. Because 200 years ago, there was a period of time where Syria was the overarching kind of governing power over Israel. And through the Maccabean revolt, this, the Maccabean family kind of rose up and threw off the tyranny and the oppression of Syria, and they governed themselves freely. Israel governed itself freely for about 30 years. And, and in that time, there was a, a kind of a phrase, kind of a, a charge, kind of their rebel cry was kind of fighting the superpower of Syria was this, pay back the Gentiles what they deserve. Pay back the Gentiles what they deserve. It's almost like, you know, give me, you know, give me liberty or give me death, right? It's kind of this movement like, this is what's going to motivate us. This is our cry. And, and when they said, pay back the Gentiles what they deserve, what they meant was, we're going to give them back the violence that they have, they've given us. We're going to pay them back. We're going we're to give them a taste of their own medicine. We're going to pay the Gentiles back in their own currency. That's what it means. And so on the surface, Jesus is saying, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give back to Caesar what he deserves. And in a sense, he's saying, pay the tax. But there's this encoded rebel flair to what Jesus is saying that the rest of the crowd would have heard, pay back the Gentiles with their own coin. Whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Then render back, give back what is his. Jesus doesn't say it's right to pay the tax. He doesn't say it's, it's right to be occupied. He doesn't say it's right to be extorted. He just said, whose image is on the coin? And they say Caesar's. Well, then it's his. He minted it. It's his money. Give it back to him. Kind of like, go forward, pay the tax. It's not, you know, right? It's not an explicit kind of like, don't pay, right? That would get Jesus in trouble, right? Jesus says, go ahead and pay it. But through all of this, he is saying something far more significant than pay your taxes, right? He's saying something even more. Jesus says, pay the tax. It's Caesar's money. Pay him with his own currency. But when he says, give Caesar what is Caesar's, give God what is God's, you know what he does in that moment? He tells you this, Caesar is not God. He, he brings it right out. The heart of the issue, the heart of Caesar's claim for divinity and divine worship and authority, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Caesar is not God. They are not the same. And Jesus makes it clear that whatever authority, whatever power Caesar has, it's not the same as God's. It's not. In this statement, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. He affirms the state, which that's important for us to hear. Give to Caesar what it, he's due, right? And there are, there are likely two groups that are listening very closely to what Jesus is saying right now. And one are the separatists. One are the Essenes. 
And the Essenes were, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the Essenes came, they, they were the, in that Qumran community and they were the ones that kind of kept that, those scrolls and kept those documents. And in other words, they, they wanted nothing to do with the corruption of the world. For, for the Essenes, their desire was to pull out, you know, to be in the world, but not of the world. They just didn't want to be in the world. And they looked at the injustice around, they looked at the persecution, uh, they looked at the immorality. And the, the role for the Essenes was like, we're going to create safe communities where we do not have to interact with the causes and the concerns of the world. The injustice is too great. The corruption is too great. Our answer is to be off the grid. Our answer is to be done with it all. That's the Essenes. Not only are they listening to Jesus' response, but this other group, the Zealots, are as well. The Zealots, remember Judas of Galilee, the Galilean. Judas founded the sect of the Zealots. It was, it was his resistance. It was his desire 25 years ago about this tax that founded the movement of the zealots. And the zealots were always looking for an opportunity to overthrow. They were always looking for how do we get Rome to no longer be in power? That's all they wanted to do. They wanted to get rid of Caesar. That was all of their hope. And Jesus is saying, right? He's saying to them too, that getting rid of Caesar is not the only change that you need. So to those, the Essenes, who thought like too little of government, he's kind of pushing back on them. And to the Zealots who thought too much of government, he's pushing back on them too with the statement, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And Jesus affirms the state. And at the same time, he places the state underneath someone greater. He places the state underneath someone greater. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. In other words, there's more than Caesar. At the same time, Jesus kind of sets the expectation that you are going to pay your taxes to the state and affirms the state. And at the very same next part of the command is he sets the state's limits as well. He affirms the state and sets limits. Don't give Caesar everything. Render back to him. In other words, give back to him what is his, what's appropriate. But all is not due him. Jesus doesn't refuse the tax. But at the same time, he says he doesn't get it all either. What a fantastic answer. Give God what is God's. Now, the question next is, well, what is that? What belongs to God? If we're going to give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is his, what is God's? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the coin bears the image and inscription of Caesar. What bears the image and inscription of God? You do. You do. We do. We all do. We do. Jesus affirms, right, this biblical position of government within society, and yet at the same time, it fits within and underneath a greater obligation to God. That's what he's saying. Here's this tendency in my life, in your life, it's similar, that we, we often think about our lives in this way, that I, I do things, certain things over here, and then I, I do other certain things over here. There's a here and there's a there. And so I have kind of a, a work life, work priorities. I have kind of school life, school priorities, family, kind of hobbies and leisure, church life. Like these activities, these things that I do can be different in different places. They're, 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 they're Caesar things, 
and then there's, there's God things, right? That's what, that's what Jesus is highlighting here. But Jesus is pushing back, and he always has been pushing back throughout his ministry to kind of help us realize that there isn't kind of a, a secular and a spiritual. There isn't a political and a non-political. That what Jesus is saying is when the kingdom of God really comes into our lives, that it's not just something that deals with our soul, but it actually deals with the whole of our lives. It's a way in which we begin to put God first. It's a way in which you begin to find God in all of those things. That's what Jesus is highlighting, right? So he's charging his listeners, right, in this way of, of seeing something kind of greater. In other words, like when you give, if you give your money to the church, let's say you give 10%. Well, that 10% that you give to God, then that's 90% that you then have to spend and live off of. But you don't give the 10% to God as if he needs it. And then the 90% that you have left is kind of yours to do whatever you want. When we give to God, we give in a way that it reminds us that all of it's his. That, that's the role of all the, the tithes and the offerings and generosity is to remind ourselves constantly, it's all his, however he wants to use it, whatever God wants to do. So give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. It's a command that's meant to draw us upward. It's, it's, a, it's a way in which we change all of these smaller conversations and debates that we get into into a larger one of what is God wanting? What is it that God wants? What does it mean to give God what is God's? And it means it's you, all of you. All of yourself you give to God. The kingdom of God is not disconnected from political conversations. And at the same time, it transcends them. It's greater than them. Right? This is at times Jesus was incredibly conservative. I mean, he he starts quoting from like Old Testament traditionally held scriptures, hundreds of years old, right? Reaching way back into history and pulling these things like this is what we're trying to hold on to. This is what we're trying to keep. A very conservative idea. And yet at the same time, wildly progressive, having dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors. In his own 12, he's got a Roman collaborator, Matthew, a tax collector, and he has a political activist zealot in Simon. He's pro-women. He's always looking after the marginalized and raising the dignity up of those who would be left out and forgotten. Like, what do we do with him? Like, how does he begin to fit? What do we begin to see? And if we don't understand, right, that Jesus is doing something very different, He's doing something different. And if we just want Jesus to answer our specific issue, if we just want Jesus to deal with our specific hardship, what's, what's on the front burner of our lives, then what's going to happen is we may feel like that Jesus is missing it, like he's not speaking to it. Rome was the overarching evil. It would be completely appropriate for Jesus. Why wouldn't God just spend more time talking about how bad Rome is? Why, what's so hard about Jesus kind of dismissing and dethroning Caesar? If God really cares, right, why can't he address the issues that we all know are real and present? But if you don't understand that God is doing something bigger, if you don't understand that God is doing something else, right, different, then God will seem to you elusive, God will seem to you distant. He will seem disconnected from the issues that you're, that you're working with, and you will have a hard time submitting to him because you're going to ask these questions. God, I'm wondering what you're up to. 
God, if, if you don't kind of come through in this area, like I think you're going to lose some support, maybe even my vote. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. In other words, he is over all of it. God does not need to defend himself with what's happening in the world and the world's issues. He looks at all of it and says, I know. I know. I'm orchestrating things. I'm working in ways that you can't see. My purposes are prevailing. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. He says, I know. Now, now that you know that I know, now give me your heart. Give me your heart. He doesn't answer his critics because he asks us to submit to him regardless of the circumstances. He asks us to recognize his authority anyway. Sometimes we make our submission to God based upon whether we like the way the world is working or not. And Jesus says, I've come to do something different, right? I'd rather deal with the condition of your heart I'd rather do something inside of you, right? We want God to deal with our issues and God wants to deal with us. And what we begin to realize is more important than getting rid of Caesar, more important than getting in the next new president, more important to that is what's happening in you. Have you given God what is God's? Have you given your heart to them? How do you, how do you know if you're a Christian? You know that you're a Christian when your politics changes. You know you're a Christian if your politics changes. It doesn't stay where it was. Because no matter how much you were suspicious of those on the left, how much you might disagree with those on the right, what you realize is it's not so much what's wrong with them or what's them. What becomes most apparent in your life is you realize the most thing that's wrong in the world is you. You, your heart your thoughts, your actions, the love that and worship that we, we deny God. This is what Jesus has come to deal with. This is what he's, he's taking on. We begin to realize that what's most wrong in the world is what's most wrong in us. And the world wants to put us into positions, right? It wants to put us into parties. But Jesus, and what he's saying right now is, Jesus doesn't say go left or go right. Jesus says go up. Jesus says, first go to God and let God begin to arrange it. Let God begin to set it. Christians think about God first. And as we place God above all, right, we begin to work to see God in all. And this is what begins to change for us. Then we ask, how does my decisions, how does my support, how does my vote then communicate a glory to God and a love for my neighbor best? That's what guides us now. To glorify God and to love our neighbor well. The truth is, church, right? You know, there'll always be another Caesar. There's always going to be another one. There'll always be something to push back on. There's always going to be something to resist. But what Christianity holds out to you is not another thing to resist, but it's a king to embrace. It's something to hold dear. It's something that will change your life. I heard one teacher say, we we learn to embrace a king without a coin. Jesus doesn't even have a denarius on him. Jesus is going to go to the cross 
all other leaders in the world, they walk in influence and power when they're elected. Do you know what our king does in influence and power? It's when he's executed. And when you see the king on the cross for you, it changes you. And you become free in a way that you never were before. You experience a liberty in your life from the bondage of sin and death that changes you. And this king, this king on the cross, he's not hoarding glory for himself. In fact, he's actually come to share his glory with you. He became poor so that you might become rich. He took on sin and became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. This is a different kind of king. What what the passage is saying is, give Caesar his coin. Give God your heart. Give God all of your life. You, You are the coin of God. You do bear his image. You do bear his inscription. What would it look like for the good thing to happen inside of us? And let God begin to work that out into the world. Let's pray. Lord, help us to realize this morning that Jesus dealt with the greatest injustice, the greatest issue, and it was the sin of our hearts. It's the It was the stone that needed to turn to flesh. It was was what was lifeless that, that needed to come alive. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we begin to just realize the the work that you came to do and how that led you to the cross, how it led you to sacrifice, how it led you to be a king who would serve, a king who would come low so that others might be lifted up, that because you're a king like that, we can trust you. Because you would do that, we can trust you with all the issues of our lives, all of the hardships, all of the struggles. God, this morning in a, in a, in a highly charged culture, what would it look like for each person here just to trust you more deeply? To be reminded of the image who we bear and to lay ourselves before your altar, to find ourselves a living sacrifice again, to give Caesar his coin, but to give our whole self to you, God. I pray this morning that we would do that. No strings attached. That we would give all of ourselves to you because you gave all of yourself to us. Thank you for doing the the greater work. Thank you for doing the harder thing. Let us marvel. Let us be in awe. Let us be amazed again. We pray this in your name. Amen.